space. Well, not really. Take two. Here, in the Mitten State. Welcome to Code 47, bringing you all things Star Trek. Spanning the quadrants, the best things as the neutral zone. With your co-captains, Charlie Carden and Alex Terry. And we are back again. Welcome, as always, to the Code 47 podcast on the Secret Friends Unite Network. This is episode 24, where we will be discussing the long lamented, the long lambasted Star Trek V, The Final Frontier, directed by William Shatner. I am your humble servant, Trek Captain and Trek Lord of Western Michigan, Charlie Carden, joined as always by my super duper acting captain, pirate master, Jedi guy, Trek Lord of the North, Alex Terry. Alex, how the heck are you today? Oh, I couldn't be better. It's beautiful out. I love it. It's it's like Kirk climbing up uh, Yosemite. Uh, but, you know, we couldn't really do this film any kind of real justice without bringing in the Roast Master General, uh, the, uh, the, the, the pin in my barb, uh, over on the Secret Friends Unite uh, podcast, my best friend of 25 plus years, Todd Oxtra, the Supreme. Toddance, greetings and welcome back. May the force live long and prosper. Oh, oh, it hurts my soul. No, yes. thank you for having me on, guys. This is going to be fun. I have notes. It's oh god. Well, you know what? We will. Notes. You know, I, I I did kind of plug in uh, the plot flow here to uh, to our document. But we don't need to be constrained to it. We're just going to kind of go nuts. So uh, here we are. Star Trek uh, Five: The Final Frontier, released in the bulwark uh, of movies that came out in the summer of 1989. We're talking about. It was kind of sequelitis that summer. We had Ghostbusters Two. We had Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. Todd, I know we've talked about this on Secret Friends. We had this movie. What what other like big sequels or whatever? Oh, eighty nine was Batman. Uh, Tim Burton Batman, yeah. which was not a sequel, but it was one of the biggest you know superhero films of all time. Uh, what else did we have that summer? UHF, <laughs> not a big hit. <laughs> oh, uh, yeah, and it was that was there an Aliens <laughs> movie that came out that year too? The weird aliens movie. Which one was that? No, I'm just wondering if it was there an aliens movie that came no, out. No, that, that was Alien. Alien three was what? Ninety one. Ninety three, and then 93, I think okay. Aliens was in eighty six. Okay. So. That's right. We, yeah, we got you know like I think the Abyss came out this summer. Maybe I don't know. So now is I'm it, uh, City Slickers. Maybe. What is it? Not, not Here that. we go. Oh, Here okay. we go. I would say Todd. Todd he, he jumped in there and, go- and go- gave that shit a googs. What do you got? Yeah, I got Roadhouse. Oh, yes. Bill, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, Karate Kid Part 3, Uncle Buck, Weekend at Bernie's, uh, let's see, Lethal Weapon 2, The Burbs, Parenthood, Beaches, uh, War of the Roses, The Abyss, uh, Leviathan, which I think it's like that, you know, two of the same very similar movies come out the same year, Loverboy. Like, like, like the Meteor movies in the summer of 98? Yeah, it was the summer of Swayze, apparently, because Swayze had a movie called Mexican where he played uh, kind of a violent guy taking on Hicks in the... Uh, <laughs> Great. Wasn't that, wasn't that basically Roadhouse? Kind of, yeah. Earth Girls Are Easy, Pumpkinhead, Tango and Cash. I mean, just a quality wow. selection of great films. I mean, Teen the, Witch... The, 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 oh, Teen Witch. So the last summer of the 80s was going out 
with a bang, not a whimper, and Star Trek was a part of it. Uh, do keep in mind, uh, Star Trek The Next Generation uh, had debuted about a year, almost two years before this movie came out. So Star Trek was a little bit more back in the zeitgeist than potentially it had been uh, in a very long time. Uh, there was a new look to it. So uh, after, the, you know, the, the, you know, and again, we covered this in the trilogy uh, that was Star Trek's 2, 3, and 4 when, when Joel was with us a couple of months ago uh, when we talked about that. Uh, this was a, a departure of sorts. You know, it was kind of the letdown. It was almost a bridge uh, to what we had, which was Star Trek uh, VI, which was the, the big swan song for the original cast. So without further ado, uh, let's just jump right on into it. So, Alex, you have it in front of you. Would you like to give us a summary of that first paragraph to kind of kick us off? Oh, absolutely. So... The crew of the Enterprise 1701A are enjoying leave after the uh, Starship Shakedown cruise at Yosemite National Park. God bless rocket boots! Captain Tiberius Kirk is camping with First Officer Spock and Dr. Leonard McCoy. Their leave is interrupted when the Enterprise is ordered by Starfleet Command to rescue the half or rescued the human Klingon and Romulan diplomats taking hostage on Nimbus 3, a planet set aside by a neutral location to advance dialogue between the Federation, the Klingon Empire, and the Romulan Star Empire. So, so we've, we've set the scene. So, kind of, uh, I, I think right off the bat, uh, you know, you have this opening scene where you have this kind of craggly looking weirdo digging uh, for smoke holes in the desert uh, and a, a big guy riding up on like a six footed horse. I mean, there's a lot of very Star Trekky stuff going on here, but Todd from the bat, where do your notes kick in? Do you, do you have some thoughts as, as, as the movie opens up? Uh, yeah, I love how that uh, it, it was so cheap to just put a horn on a horse and call it a space horse. Mm, the spaciest of horses, exactly. So, yeah, we figure out uh, in this first scene that the, the space horse rider is a Vulcan. Uh, he does have a little bit more of a mullet than your standard Vulcan, so he kind of looks a little different. He has a beard, which was not a Vulcan thing at the time, uh, unless you had a goatee, which meant you were a bad Vulcan. So because this guy <laughs> had a full beard, was he was he worse? I mean, should we, should that have been a sign that maybe he wasn't a great guy? I don't know. So how many? Uh, how did did, did Cybok just have or Sarek have a bunch of like just ladies around? Is it is is monogamy a thing with Vulcans? Yeah, that was just a thing. The fact that obviously later on in this film it is revealed that Cybok is uh, Spock's half brother. Again, Sorry, never, folks. That's okay. Again, I know. Oh, you know, over thirty years later, spoilers. Uh, you know, but but beyond the fact that nothing about this is ever mentioned again. And the, and Todd's right. The math of it makes zero sense, especially uh, considering the fact that within Discovery, if we're being canonical about the character of Sarek, there there's no interaction of Cybok. I mean, was Cybok fifty years older than Spock? I mean, was he was he all the way out of the picture when you know is he that much older than Spock that there would have been zero mention of him? I mean, when he is he when uh, Vulcan is excommunicated, is it like the Amish? Are they shunned? Is there no contact? Is there like a Space Jerry Springer episode that should be geared towards getting this family back together? I mean, Michael Burnham's in the 32nd century, and they they can't talk about her. So maybe Vulcans are really good at this whole <laughs> bow of silence kind of thing. I don't know. 
Okay, Charlie, um, I, I just had to look this up, and it says apparently he was the son of Sarek, obviously, and the Vulcan yep. princess Taria, and well, uh, uh, born but, before him, right. apparently. Right, I get that part. The Vulcan uh, princess Taria having not been mentioned on screen or in a canon source is not canon, but still, she had to sure. have a name of some kind. Yeah. Um, but regardless, okay, other thoughts on this kind of first chunk of the movie before we move on? I, you know what? The first hunk of the movie for me was the best part of the movie. And it just went down a rabbit hole shit show after that. Yeah. Right. Um, so you're talking like it, the first two minutes? Yeah. Right. Like, eight I minutes? <laughs> the highlight of the movie for me was when they were in Yosemite and McCoy's like watching with those binoculars and his blood pressure's going through the roof. That was hysterical. And then you get Spock coming up with the space boots, Kirk falling off the mountain, Spock catching him, and then the campfire scene. After that, it was like, what the hell? And then Chekhov and Sulu getting lost in the middle of the Yosemite, and like they're like, well, we just won't tell anybody about this. So it's... It is what it is. It was it was it was kind of a gag. It was kind of the yucks a minute, which I know is a a term that I think Axtra Coin talking about the especially the early Marvel movies where it just seemed like, you know, like in the Avengers or in Age of Ultron where everybody was laughing and gagging and everything was a giggle. They were just trying to poke fun at every little thing they could poke at. And it just a lot of it just didn't land. The marshmallows bit really landed though when they're when, when they're sitting around the campfire. That was a something that I know my I when we saw this movie, my brother and I were you know nascent you know bigger Star Trek fans and and, and enjoyed that. And so yeah, the the marshmallow that was that was a that was a gag that we enjoyed. But regardless, um, all right, let's move on to the second kind of chunk here. So uh, I think things really start to go wrong once they get aboard the Enterprise A. Uh, the new ship. Now, at, at the end of Star Trek IV, uh, they were launching off. Kind of an indeterminate amount of time has passed since the end of Star Trek IV. Maybe about, you know, some sources say it was about a year. Um, but the, the Enterprise had some kind of disastrous thing that it's back in space dock, and all of a sudden it doesn't work, and the doors don't work, and this thing and that thing, and blah, blah. There's a skeleton crew on board. So much like in, you know, like Star Trek The Motion Picture where, you know, uh, well, there's a, Captain Kirk is the only one who can handle this thing that's going on, so we got to call him. Uh huh. Okay, that works. Why not? Um, so yeah, so they're forced to kind of gather up this, uh, you know, this the crew uh, to have you know kind of a skeleton gang of folks, and then they take off uh, for the neutral zone. Uh, beautiful brand new bridge, uh, which is cool. Uh, Kirk has there's a there's a gag that apparently everybody notes is that that William Shatner did with the the captain's log recorder and his yeoman were at malfunction and said, good morning, captain. The yeoman, uh, who's handling his handling his book, which sounds disgusting, uh, is actually his do- is actually his daughter, Melanie. Uh, so I think so. Again, you know, a lot of nepotism going on in this film. So at any rate, they move on to Nimbus three uh, and they have to plan uh, a rescue attempt of the, the three dignitaries. Um, and this is something for me, as somebody who's in the Starfleet International Fan Club and, and is in the, the non-canonical or quasi-canonical uh, Star, Starfleet Marine Corps, this is kind of important because the strike team they go down to the planet with is supposed to be Starfleet Marines. 
there's been some sources that have been kicked around about that. So I think that's pretty cool. But again, that that's that's relevant to me and to me alone. So they get down there. They're going to this planet that kind of looks like budget Tatooine, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. You know, you got the three breasted cat lady and they're playing, you know, water pool. And it's just they're in a skeevy bar, which would again, it would be the cantina on a budget. So it's like. Nothing really makes sense. I don't know. So they're down there. They're trying to effect a rescue. And what they do find out is that, you know, they go through this whole thing to, to break in. You got Uhura doing her naked feathers dance. And the less said about that, the better. Um, then, that was a great thing because that said that Michelle could, like, totally kick Tina Turner's ass. I guess. She doesn't need I'm sure stuff. that was her totally singing. Yes. Well, she does, the, the woman does sing. I mean, I don't, was that her really singing that I, part, though? It, it's possible. You know, that's worth looking up. She did sing in more than one episode of the original Enterprise or the original series. Well, so. I, I guess the question is, who did it better? Was it uh, <laughs> the uh, song from the uh, Star Wars Christmas special or this? Uh, there is They're no both contest. The same. They're very there's, equivalent. Yeah, there's no contest because neither one of them is anything that yeah. I want to think about. There's, um, there's no words in this boat. <laughs> exactly. So. Uh, you know, they, they get in, uh, they manage to affect this daring rescue. And once they get their hands, uh, on the, uh, the delegates, they come to find out that they have switched over to Cybok's side. Uh, as we saw earlier in the film, Cybok, uh, has this kind of touchy feely, uh, power, which is kind of endemic of Vulcans with the telepathy and the stuff, but he makes someone relive their, their greatest regret in life, their greatest pain. And in doing that, they get healing and they become basically his mind slave. So, so basically, he's a Tony Robbins of space. He's a he's a Vulcan Tony Robbins of space. So, uh, Todd, you must have some thoughts about Tony Robbins in space. What do you think about Cybok's convenient ability? Uh, it was very odd because I'm like, why is this happening? And apparently, yes, he is more of the Doctor Phil. Uh, of the Vulcans <laughs> unleashes their pain and apparently just turns them into space hippies. Very right. weird. Oh, God, exactly. So anyway, um, the, all along there has been this this uh, Klingon dude uh, and, and his crew. Who This guy's got a boner for Kirk. He's always wanted to take him down. Uh, he caught wind of the fact that the Enterprise would be uh, going to Nimbus 3 to do this rescue. And so they arrive at Nimbus 3 at the exact moment when, and of course conveniently, I forgot to mention that because the Enterprise is all malfunctioning, they had to use a shuttlecraft, and so they are. Cybok has taken command of our people. He reveals that he's, uh, or no, he, he reveals that he knows Spock, but you don't yet know that they're brothers. They all get a, a group of them get back aboard the shuttle, and then they start to go up to the Enterprise, and, and it's at that exact moment that the Klingon bird of prey decloaks. It's going to fire on the Enterprise, so the shuttle has to blast its way through it and they crash on the shuttlecraft deck because there isn't time to land them properly there's big fist fight the enterprise warps off and apparently cybox's big mission is to i don't even really want to describe it alex what is the bit what what is the macguffin of this film what, what what are they trying to do they're trying to find god right exactly but as you get a feeling, things are probably going to go a little wonky along the way, and that's exactly what goes down. So, they- so, so I have a, I've, I have some uh, a thought right now because I, I I didn't get to tell you what I think they should have named this movie. Please, Star Trek, Star Trek Five, beam me down to Paradise City. <laughs> or the other one is Blues Brothers Two because they're on a mission from God. Oh, and the brothers. 
Oh, look at that. You know why Paramount isn't throwing the big dollars at you? I have no idea. Um, so at any rate, uh, they are on the ship. Uh, Kirk, Spock, and McCoy end up in the brig where uh, Spock reveals that this, you know, the reason he didn't, uh, when he had a chance to, to stop Cybok when they crashed on the shuttle deck, he didn't. He said, well, I couldn't kill my brother. And then he reveals all the details that we just talked about. And, uh, yeah, so they're in the brig, which is a very high tech. Uh, the Brig Force Shield is actually made up by those kind of long uh, light bars that you put in your overhead lights in your basement. What do they call those? Luminescent light. The, you know what I'm talking about? Oh, the hippies like, call them girl lights. Like them, neon lights? Or are we yeah. talking about? Yeah. Well, didn't you notice that when like it fluorescent? Closed, yeah, exactly. Fluorescent. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, you're increasingly low, low budget add-ons. And the fact that the couple of times that you see corridors and stuff it is all it's next generation sets and they're barely redressed they don't really change any all that's really different is the people are wearing older uniforms you know so this did give us uh the first kirk in the bomber jacket which is kind of my, one of my favorite star trek looks i actually that's uh you know if you're a customer and you ever want to order anything from the famous company Anovos, don't bother uh, I ordered this bomber jacket from them, which was not inexpensive uh, a year ago now. Uh, no, excuse me, a year and two months ago, and I still don't have it. Uh, so what? <laughs> what? No, you order stuff from the company, it could take years. Oh, yeah, it's terrible. It's absolutely terrible. I, and they're based in Wisconsin. So, yeah. Let's take I, a road trip and see where it's at. I, know, I, might send, yeah, I, might, I might have to send you over there, Todd. You're closer. You hate Wisconsin anyway. You can go on a mission. Go on an undercover mission of destruction. Um, yeah, choose cards out of them. Yeah, when it comes to Star Trek, always buy Chinese. That's all I'm going to say. Uh, Star Trek costume. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. So um, we get to the most egregious part of the film for me uh, from a Trekker nitpicking standpoint. Uh, Scotty breaks him out of the bridge uh, by blowing out the back wall. Uh, they realize that they have to take uh, the turbo shaft. Uh, the turbo lift of which there's no, there's no, it's down for maintenance. So there's no car in there. They have to take it to the top of the top of the shaft, which makes no sense. That sounds super dirty. Sorry. They have to take it to the, uh, the top of the thing in order to get to the observation launch to send a signal for help. So this is where things go bad. They're at the bottom of a turbo shaft and Spock conveniently has to run and get his rocket boots from who knows where. So I don't know if he had his, he, it's not, it's not like his, his quarters were conveniently located next to the brig. That didn't make that is not so. He gets them. Oh, no, first they start climbing, and he goes back down and gets them. Um, and then they get, you know, they kind of wrap around his shoulders, and they start making a bunch of corny jokes about oh, too many, too many marshmallows. He hits the rocket button. They fire upwards, which there's a super obvious. Their, his hip is attached to a thing, and they're flying him up that way. It's like it's kind of like the wires as Superman flies really bad. But by the time they get to the top of this turbo lift shaft, it's deck 78. So the, oh. decks, the decks apparently go up instead of down, and that ship had 21 decks going top down, <laughs> not not top up. Wait, it so, goes sideways and up, then around yeah, exactly. a curve. So, and again, if the, if the brig was at the bottom of the ship and they went halfway up the ship, which is where the absolute, I mean, familiar with that ship and kind of layout. And uh, there are not 78 decks in the middle of the ship. So I've never been able, I'm not going to lie to you. I've never been able to let that go. And it ruined the entire movie for me. I, I believe we touched on this with, uh, with the discovery, uh, turbo lift thing. That has the, been, yes, big 
exactly the the turbo lift that's with all the movie it looks like there's bugs crawling around in there so yeah exactly so, so that, was, rate, that was the one thing in this movie that i would say pulled I would, out of it i would say it was one of the biggest things in the movie that pulled okay. me out of it. Okay. you know i did i didn't mind the fact that they use all the next gen sets because they're they're very good looking sets whatever i guess it makes sense um not as big as the fact that they completely change all the sets for star trek six and they look terrible um yeah. But anyway, that, that's a bird of a different feather. Uh, so at any rate, uh, they go and they send this signal like, please help us. And it gets intercepted by the Klingons. But the Klingon lady is faking it out saying, yep, this is Starfleet. We're going to come help you. And it's just the Klingons. But you see that that's obviously happens off camera. So Kirk doesn't know about that. But then Cybok intercepts them. He uses his voodoo logic on McCoy and brainwashes him, you know, because McCoy has to relive the, the death of his dad, who is an invalid, and he pulled the plug on him. Then a couple weeks later, they found the cure for what killed him. So, you know, that's his greatest pain, blah, blah, blah. Okay. Then, you know, he tries to use his hoodoo on Spock. You know, when Spock was born, and apparently when you're a Vulcan infant, you remember everything from the moment you pop out. So Spock had <laughs> yes. a memory of being born. Uh, and, uh, you know... Uh, in you know newborn Spock is handed to Sarah and Sarah goes so human um so I'm, so he you know he knew his father was ashamed of him and that was his biggest one and then he gets to Kirk and here we go with some of the best lines of the movie he goes to Kirk and Kirk goes into this big speech about this and that we need our pain he can't, I don't want him to take away my pain because it's what makes him me blah 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 I should turn right when I should turn left I don't want my pain taken away I need my pain. Because he hasn't got time for the pain. There's another name uh, for the movie. Hasn't got time for the pain, just like Carly Simon. So, uh, yeah, we're get we're going full Shatner in this. I mean, he's just he's kirking it out. He's tossing out the big lines. Um, but by this time, the Enterprise is approaching its destination, which is the the Great Barrier, where you go into the center of the galaxy. And this is not the first time they've done this particular plot line. They did it in an episode of the original series. However, the engines had to be modified so that the ship could travel at, like, warp 57 because it's kajillions of light years away from where the Federation is. So they conveniently don't talk about that. It's totally fine. They can also get through the radiation, which is the blue stuff or whatever. So there is just so very much left out of the fact that how the hell do they even get to this place? So they're about to go through this barrier. Da-da-da-da. You know, Kirk comes up to the bridge with them, and they're going to go through the barrier, and they make it. Alex, take it from here. Oh, no, 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 no. I want to see where this is going because I'm gearing up. Oh, for... I'm sorry. I didn't, I didn't know you were, you, you were pulling, you were pulling back your baseball bat to swing. Okay. I'm gearing up for the question that Kirk asks, and that oh. was like next highlight for me. Oh, my God. So, yeah. So they go through the barrier, and, of course, there's a planet down there, and it's all swirling gases and whatever in there. And, of course, the transport still doesn't work. So let's get on another shuttlecraft. I don't know why Shatner had such a boner for shuttlecrafts in this movie. It was kind of his thing. Uh, Transporter's too boring. I don't know. So they take a shuttlecraft down, but it's just Kirk, Spock, and McCoy, and Cybok. Cybok, by the way, stops to get a haircut between the bridge. <laughs> and the yes, show, he I, does. I, I shit you not. He did. He got rid of the mullet. Uh, he got kind of a 13-year-old boy, like choir boy haircut. It's weird. You know, but, well, but he just... You're, but he, you're going to meet God. Yeah, but he doesn't. He's still wearing the same robe, so he didn't be like, maybe I'll put, maybe I'll put on a sweater. It's a Sunday best. Maybe I'll put on a pair of slacks. Maybe some church shoes. I don't, you know, exactly. He's wearing the same, but he gets a haircut. I don't, I, I don't get it. 
Can't have those long frilly locks when you're going to meet God, I guess. Says a lot. So they get down to the planet, they land. Uh, another super obvious gaffe is that they get down to the planet. It's obviously it was filmed out in the, you know, in the Utah desert or something. You see those familiar, uh, you know, rock formations and stuff that are that are pretty. So as they're looking around, and I, it's funny because I, I wouldn't have picked this out on my own, but I had a, a a DVD of Star Trek five years ago that had the text commentary at the bottom, and they said they're showing this one rock formation, and then they say, "How interesting that there's a road running between those two mountains." <laughs> <laughs> Whoops! Somebody missed that. So they're all standing around going, why isn't anything happening? What's going on? And then, you know, naturally, lights go off and suddenly big Stonehenge rocks pop up that even the rocks as they're popping up absolutely look like somebody made them out of paper mache. I mean, it's just, it continues to look super cheap. It really looks like... Say that. Say that one more time. They're running on a budget here. I guess. And maybe they were spending their budget as they went through the movie, so we're close to the end, and oh, that's all we got left. Um, and so that all happens. A big blue thing pops up, and the face of actor George Murdoch, as God, pops up. I love it. George, George Murdoch is a... No, not that. Not that. No, not George Papard. Sorry. George... Sorry. Uh, Murdoch was actually he was the doctor on the original Battlestar Galactica, uh, yep. and he was uh, he played the admiral who went up against the Borg in the Borg two-parter from the Next Generation. About yeah. actually ju- just actually he shot this and that at about the same time because this came out in summer that came out uh, no that came out the same you know, that came out the next that came out in 1990 so yeah just about the same um, so yes George Murdoch God and admiral and doctor. It's a great resume. Um, so they're going to throw down with God. And Alex, it sounds like you're excited to talk about this part, so I'm going to let you have it. Well, this was like, the, the besides Yosemite, this was like the best part of the movie for me. Because in true James T. Kirk fashion, he's like, what's what's God need with a starship? And, and Cybok's looking at him like, bitch, shut up. You don't and ask the goes, Almighty for his ID. Yeah, like, what's God need with a starship? And I'm like, do the cojones on James T. Kirk at this moment are just, they're clanging. I that mean, was this, the, is, this is a guy who made his career out of talking computers to death. You knew he was going to say something. <laughs> that was like, that was like saving grace for me at that point. Like, so I have to make it through Yosemite. Like mm-hmm. all through the rest of it, and then and and the brig break, and then just to hear him say this, and that was just like, oh, that's badass. Yeah, so right. he, he doing what he does. <laughs> Todd, your thoughts on the Godhead? <laughs> I, I tell you, I I love this trend of movies having all of this buildup, and then the actual MacGuffin or whatever they're going to sure. literally takes. It is resolved in like five to ten minutes. And it's it like, was. okay. And it was like the the power of this deity or whatever. I mean, like it shot them and made them like, uh, I don't know, smolder a little bit, but they, they got did. up pretty quickly. <laughs> it, was, it was like a punch yeah. to the gut, you know? <laughs> it, was it, was, a, it wasn't yeah. his best smiting. No. Right, exactly. I smote you, but I smote, I smote you on a budget. It's a budget smote. Yeah, Think so I it. mean, I, I obviously... You know, this this whole thing was just very odd, but obviously Kirk 
did not want anyone else to be more important than him. So of course, <laughs> have to have to battle God. And right. uh, yeah, that was that was a little bit underwhelming. And the in the special effects, wow, it looked like like um, a lava lamp. Uh, tied in with like some like like the Wizard of Oz. I think they use that tech, same tech from the Wizard of Oz. All right, it was like look behind the curtain. Yeah, exactly. For so yeah, it turns out that God is not God. He's just kind of of a, a big dickwad blue head that needs to get out. He's been imprisoned and he's going to use the Enterprise uh, to get out. That's why Kark's like, well, why do you need my ship, asshole? What's your deal? Um, uh, yeah, but obviously he's so powerful that they shoot one that the Enterprise shoots one photon torpedo at him and it kind of scatters. He looks like Max Headroom. He gets all yeah. scattered. He's like, ooh. He turns it. He turns into a Scooby Doo ghost. He's like, ooh. And then they try to run back to the shuttlecraft, but not before Cybok. Cybok had to distract him by jumping through the blue screen and wrestling with him because he turned from a head into looking like Cybok. And so it was Cybok wrestled with himself. Then they shot him with a photon torpedo, so obviously Cybok is vaporized. And then Kirk, Spock, and McCoy run back to the shuttle, but the Scooby-Doo ghost is following them. And then miraculously, the transporter is fixed, but it's only fixed for Spock and Dr. McCoy because they get beamed up, so Kirk is on his own. I wonder why Shatner wanted to set it up that you know he would have to have the final battle on his own. So he runs out of the shuttle. There's sparks and shit and blah, blah, blah. What? 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 I'm sorry. They he would have gotten away with it, too, if it wasn't for that meddling away team. I guess. Exactly. It's terrible. So he's running or whatever, and the Scooby-Doo goes to chasing him. And in the time in between, uh, you know, Spot goes back up to the bridge, and the other the the, the, the other Klingon bird of prey showed up and fired a shot at the Enterprise. And, you know, so the Enterprise is like, oh, we got shot at, blah, blah, and they're, gonna, they're demanding our surrender. And Spock says, uh, Spock turns to the, the old Klingon uh, delegate that they had rescued and said, uh, you're the boss of this little shithead. Tell him to knock it off. And the old man goes, well, I'm an old man. Nobody likes me. And Spock tells him to f- nut, nut up or shut up. It's like, you're going to tell him what's up. So being that, you know, they, they beam, they obviously, they beam over to the bird of prey. They fly down the planet and just as Scooby-Doo ghost Godhead is about to zap Kirk for good. Uh, the bird of prey shows up. They fire at Godhead a couple times and kill him. So again, what? Just yikes. Never send the Federation to do a Klingon job. No shit. I mean, it went from underwhelming. Can you get under, under, what's under, underwhelming? Under, under, underwhelming? Is that how, how, is that where we're at with the MacGuffin by the end of the movie? Kind of feels like. Uh, ah, yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. So, really, and- what was, what was his end game? Like, I mean, this is like a, was this like an anomaly that wanted to just, barely hurt people with his beams well yeah i I just didn't get it i didn't get what the what the end all be all was for this mythical being that people sought after and it was like that's what it was all about well i feel like he was such a sissy that if like obviously his his goal was to you know be taken up to the enterprise and like integrate itself into the enterprise's computer don't you think like malware would have just deleted him i mean he's he's such a pussy already that i just don't really think that he would uh lasted too long against uh, Starfleet software. That's all I'm saying. You get a little yeah. bit of Mac- McAfee virus software, and that guy's out of there. I was just going to say death by McAfee. <laughs> exactly. Oh, so anyway, uh, then they fly. You know, they're, they're having a cocktail party on the way home. The Klingon's over there hanging out with them. Turns out the Romulan ambassador has a really nice rack because he's wearing a uh, beautiful dress. So that, that wasn't such a bad thing. Um, but at the, at the end of the day, 
uh, Kirk, Spock, and McCoy end up right where they started. They're back in Yosemite. They're around the campfire, having a good old time, and roll credits. So, highs, so, and, lows, highs and lows of the movie. It seems like we've covered a lot of it so far. Ooh. So, you know, the Voyage Home... They had great success with the growth of the crew, like not not the mainstream, but like, you know, like Chekhov and Uhura and all that. Right. Um, and there was a lot of comic one liners in there, like, you know, Scotty talking to the computer. Hello, computer. You know, and that worked out great for that flick. And it's almost like they were trying to bring it back to this one. And the one that so when the movie really started pissing me off is I have great respect and I love Scotty. Scotty is one of my favorite characters in Truck. And the fact that they do that. Oh, I know this ship like the back of my hand. Boom. Head into a bulkhead. You know, that kind of pissed me off. And then I'm not quite sure on this because it was still Brave New Times. But had George Takai come out of the closet yet? Um, I don't think so. Because I could be wrong. Rewatching it now, I it kind of bothers me because I'm all about people living their life and living their love. And you see when they're having that little cocktail party, Chekhov, it was like the little buddy film again. Chekhov and Sulu are like, chasing you know running after that mighty handsome klingon woman like two horned up high school kids right and i'm just like oh that's kind of disrespectful to him you know i mean i don't know i'd have to google it to see when he officially came out man that well, if out and the character of sulu is kind of a jumble anyway because his sexuality is only touched upon in the prime universe if you will by the fact that we know that he had a daughter Yes, who was later the, hel- the helmsman of on the Enterprise B with Cameron from Ferris Bueller? Um, yep, yet, yet in yet over in the Kelvin timeline, so the the JJ movies, if you will, it's revealed that Sulu is gay and has yeah. an adopt has an adopted daughter. So who knows? Was he gay in one and not gay? In, was he gay in both? They never mention a wife, so I don't know. It, it, yeah. It's a it's a, it's, just, a, it's a whole codicil of it. I just, I just, just really don't it just, know. It just, it bothered me because I, I kind of thought it was disrespectful to George Takai. But, you know, like a like a trooper, he played the role. And, again, Sulu is another one of my favorite characters. He was just bold and, and, and great in all the flicks. But that's just me. That's what killed the movie for me. I, I, I understand. Uh, real briefly, Todd, you, you've obviously punctuated along the way. What, other, what, what else do you have to say? Um, I, <laughs> I hate to say this, but I just totally disagree with Alex. I mm. hated City Slickers Star Trek. This is City Slickers. This is like, they added so much of that stuff that I felt like it just like, it was our opportunity to do something that was just goofy and hanging out, doing the things I felt like, wow, they're gonna eat beans and they're probably gonna fart next, like in Blazing Saddles. <laughs> it just, it just felt to me like this, this movie was just bad it's not even a good movie this is like this is probably a, a subpar episode that was right. way too long nothing happened like i said i almost fell asleep on the elliptical for the, during the first 40 minutes of the movie because literally <laughs> nothing happened so then you've got like 30 minutes of like maybe real stuff and it was just strung out there and 
this is obviously pre-CGI. They right. that was like you know obviously what Terminator uh, two. That's kind of when we first got that in the Abyss. All of the Abyss brought in CGI at the same time. So really, right. a lot of the special effects. It, this felt like a John Carpenter film, like right. almost like, like they, Escape yeah. from L.A. Yeah, kind of like, yeah. Kind of like the thing without the personality. Uh, uh, yeah, like no earnest ability to do anything. And I was just reading this. I, I, I sent you guys this, this article about from heavy.com talking about Uhura's uh, right. moment, but also the fact that Kirk did, you know, Shatner actually did run out of money making this film. There was supposed to be rock monsters at the end, which right, I, guess, right, right. I guess Lower Decks made fun of. Like they referenced right. rock monsters. <laughs> yes, that's so, right. But yeah, I, and I looked up, Uhura did not sing the song. That was by okay. Hiroshima oh. that Georgia Kai knew, uh, oh, but apparently she was wearing a G-string. So there you go. Um, yeah, this this really, and especially like you said, after they came off of uh, you know episode or movie four, which was right. kind of a high point for box office. Totally you know, absolutely. kind of you know, and then it had let down. Obviously, then you get to that curve of good track, bad track, and but it, this still this movie still made more money than Nemesis, which I think is absolutely hilarious. How many years later? Right. Yeah, the Nemesis was. Nemesis was absolute trash. Such <laughs> trash. Oh, well, but it's Nemesis wait. better than this, though. I, I bet I, I could say, I bet Nemesis is a better made and better scripted and better acted movie than oh, this. Oh, I this could movie not. was horribly acted, horribly scripted, horribly directed. There's not like I said. It, it, I know you want to say that, but I, Nemesis at least probably had better direction, better special effects, better acting because the actors yeah. were better. Probably. So, but yeah, to your point, there's just too much goofy stuff going on in this. It didn't make any sense. So when these guys like came on the uh, the shuttlecraft and they crashed in and 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 they, I mean, where's the security detail? Well, Come on. it was it was the skeleton crew. They didn't have anybody, so they just had like Zippy the janitor out back. He's like, well, let me go find my phaser. Yeah, you're right. The, the plot hole. The damn shuttlecraft just crashed. Where was the crew there to help? You know, put out the fire or something. Right. It was like, oh god. Yeah, it just made no sense. It was like bad plotting. Oh, sorry. I, I found very little to like about this movie. You know, I, I I agree with you. I would put it right up there with. Ne- I I disliked Nemesis more, but that is for another episode because that's going to be for there another road when we talk sure. about that. Uh, as far as legacy to the franchise, I have a single uh, input of what the this movie launched uh, the second volume of the DC Comics Star Trek series, huh? which okay. I read every <laughs> single issue of intently. It was to date uh, the only DC Comics series that I have followed in its entirety. Uh, that I had every issue that I loved that I, that especially at the time when I didn't read any DC superhero comics. Now I dabble and I a little bit of Batman, a little bit of Justice League, this and that. This was the only DC comic series that I was really nuts about. Well, conversely, I loved the Next Generation more, I would say, and and I watched it every week and I read the novels. This was this comic series I preferred to any other Star Trek comic series that has ever been. I liked it a hell of a lot better. Peter David, uh, who is an author that uh, Todd has interviewed uh, for the podcast, did a long run on this, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, the uh, main artist was a guy named Gordon Purcell, whose art I liked very much. So um, I would say, if nothing else, Star Trek V uh, gave us, you know, and again, it's aboard my my favorite incarnation of the Enterprise and really of any space vehicle, which is the the Enterprise A, the 1701A, the Constitution class refit from the movies. I love that ship. I love the the look of it. I love it. You know, they have the, the they have the best uniforms, which would be the Monster Maroons we got from Star Trek Two. So the look the look of it that was generated from this movie endured, but the movie itself is, is garbage. There, you're right. There's absolutely no way to slice it. And again, I'm I'm a Star Trek apologist to the ends of the earth. But 
you put this and you put Nemesis together, they're both so bad that I, I couldn't tell you which one was worse. So I, I'm there with you. So for me, the legacy would have to be it very it, it strengthened the odd even movie the, theory. Mm-hmm. Right. Like, you know, the 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 evens were good, the odds were bad. Yeah, it, it strengthened this. I hear you. I hear you. I got you there. All right. So any final comments before we move on to our two news stories of the week? And then we call it a day. Anything else? Um, quick question. Is this the, the that, that that tech world a movie that Shatner always wanted to make? <laughs> tech war. Yeah, yeah tech war. <laughs> you really this this was his. Uh, I don't, did, did he write those in the 90s? I feel like he wrote. Those oh, in the yeah. 90s. It was like it was like yeah. it was like late 80s, early 90s. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. I don't know. Probably. Probably uh, it's like probably, this is my big chance to get my tech war movie made. <laughs> yes, exactly. Oh, it's my shining moment. So anyway, uh, moving out of the news, we have one news story and one swag story. Uh, news story. And again, I believe we'll be talking to this on Secret Friends as well. So, uh, Todd, the, t- Todd, just record the segment. And we'll play it then. Uh, sure, sure. But yeah, no, there's some breaking news. Uh, Paramount Pictures taps uh, Discovery writer to pen original Star Trek feature film. Uh, in conjunction with J.J. Abrams' Bad Robot Production Company. That would be uh, Kalinda Vasquez, uh, who has been writing uh, with the Discovery crew uh, in Season 3. She wrote Terra Pharma Part 2, which was the episode that gave uh, the Empress Giorgio, you know, the boot and the big trip back through the uh, Guardian of Forever. Spoiler, sorry. Uh, one would assume, if you're listening to this show, that you are up on Discovery, since it's been the season's been over for a while. Uh, but yeah, she's uh, worked as a writer and producer on a number of other series, including Fear of the Walking Dead, Todd's favorite show, uh, Once Upon a Time, <laughs> Prison Break, and Nikita. So she is. Uh, Vasquez was recently tapped to collaborate with George Railroad Martin for the HBO time travel series Roadmarks, which will be executive producing and show running. So it's got a beautiful resume. Uh, Todd and or I would say Alex and I, though, we've not we've not reached talking about those films yet, but we will. I am by no means a fan of the JJ verse. I mean, Alex, I know that you like them very much. Uh, but for me, there's not there's not the soul, but yeah, it's a lot of fun and a lot of lens flares. You know, for me, the first movie was a big head scratcher. The second movie was basically the Star Trek five of the three movies. It was so bad. Nothing worked. And then the third one I kind of liked, you know, but it wasn't JJ. It was uh, Justin Lin who made that movie. So so this is really exciting. And this is certainly the first time we've had. Uh, we've had a creator really of, of color. Uh, well, excuse me, the second time was Justin Lin directed, as I just said, uh, that last film. But this is this is the first time that we've really had a woman uh, driving the boat when it comes to Star Trek. So I find this to be pretty exciting. But I was listening to I was listening to another Star Trek podcast yesterday, uh, the one that's associated with the TrekMovie.com website, which talking about the fact that you know a lot of Star Trek feature film products are being projects are being discussed. The Tarantino project still has some discussion going on. There was no Hollywood project. That. Yeah, yeah. No, no, no love lost with me thinking about that concept. So while this is great, I feel like this is the first firm news we've had about anything like this in a long time. So I think this would be amazing, and it's interesting. Uh, there's there's a Twitter drop from Michelle uh, Paradise, who's another Star Trek creator, uh, that Kalinda this uh, Vasquez was actually uh, named after, and I read this, what they said on their pocket, named after a guest star from the original series that you see pictured here, Kalinda, from the episode, 
Oh, God. I'm forgetting, but she played some kind of wonky alien. So there you go. She comes from a Star Trek pedigree, which I appreciate. So this is cool. And again, Todd, you and I have talked time and again. Star Trek's real home is on TV. It's where they've really told their best stories. But uh, everybody enjoys a big-budget, exciting movie if they can get it right. Star Trek has always kind of struggled to get it right. They've had some big hits. You know, the the Star Trek trilogy that we talked about, 2, 3, and 4, really got it right. That was a great story. This movie really got it wrong. Star Trek V, you know, was a dump. And then, you know... we had first contact with the Borg. People loved it. And then, you know, Generations was not so great. Insurrection was not so great. So, Todd, Todd, Alex, your thoughts about this particular creator? I'm digging it. I'm digging it. And I hope it comes to fruition. Um, I, I really think when Trek needs movies, it's because there's problems or gaps in t- the TV series, right? I mean, you kind of feel like that's what brought it back because there was right. a movie. Apparently, I was reading there was supposed to be a, a Star Trek TV series that just never happened in the 70s. Which yep, Star Trek, Star Trek Phase 2. Yep. Yeah, so yep. it, it always seems like the movie is, is what brings together when you had that gap between the original series and TNG. You had the movies that kind of you know kept it flowing. Then they tried the movies again. Uh, kind of varying quality, like you said, with those. And then there was just that gap of no Trek again. So the movies came right. in. This would be right. weird to do it when I would say Trek is firing all, all cylinders and they do something completely non-related to what's on TV, which I think would be one of the first times ever, right? Because typically what the movies have been a reflection of, you know, except for the Kelvin universe, you know, what was what was really going on. Um, and right. the fact that this is not going to be tied into the Kelvin universe sounds like it's going to be an original thing. I'd be uh, curious what they would do with it. Right. Right. Well, exactly. Yeah, you're right. Taking things in a different direction is, again, hated by a lot of the fan base, which sucks. It sucks that, you know, just like with Star Wars, they really can't get behind it. But, you know, I'll, I'll lean back on my age old adage that you know if you are having your breakfast for pizza your pizza for breakfast lunch and dinner you're going to get sick of it so move on tell different stories it has been 15 podcasts since you have used that analogy really (laughs) that is a record yeah i'm making tits every podcast and i'm just happy you brought it back you're like pizza 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 no pizza Alex, oh. you're going to be like me, and you're like, I've heard that story from Charlie 85 times. You're going to start doing that. Hey, <laughs> look, if it's, if it's 85 times out of 316 episodes of SFU we've done, then th- that's really that's, – that's still pretty fresh. That's one out of four, yeah, pretty much. One, yeah, exactly. yeah I, I do have a question about this because, like you said – new new direction new things um i say discovery's been doing a good job of doing different things as well so um it, it does open the door to new opportunities in star trek that may be best told in a movie format and that's that would be great because when they've always done the movies they've always been like an extension except for the jj movies they've always been just like an extension of a longer episode right the JJ episodes felt like movies first so right. yeah. i'll give them that yeah i think that's fair I will be excited to go. I'll be excited to see where it goes. But again, you're looking at the fact that even if this goes into production, it'll be, you know, two, three more years before we see anything. So who is to um, say who is to say? Well, also, the other thing is, and at the end of the day, the biggest competition for Trek is the House of Mouse with right. Star Wars. True. And True. There's so much Star Wars coming out, going the way of traditional trek with with the tv it's like it's an old switcheroo 
So maybe this is Paramount's way of answering back right? with taking it in that direction, too. So right. I don't know. It could Try, trying to trying to trying to keep it alive because yeah it's been it's been now five years since we've seen Trek on the big screen so you know this may take it closer to ten so that's a that's a nice healthy break <clears throat> I would think um to, from having it on the big screen but anyway moving on uh to finish out the show we have a little uh, a little bit of merchandise news uh, I am famously slash infamously a collector uh, of the Eagle Maw ships. Uh, now currently rebranded as the Star Trek universe, so they are relaunching the line. Uh, it's kind of a bummer, and you understand why they did it. The Star Trek universe line will now simply be these slightly larger ships for over twice the price, excuse almost three times the price of the old ones for being slightly bigger. So the old ships were 20 bucks, these ships are 55 bucks. Uh, it's kind of a bummer, but they they did make a big announcement this week, and again, this comes from TrekMovie.com, that they are putting out there a mixture of ships, uh, largely from the start season one of Star Trek Picard. And I actually do have one of these pre-ordered. I, I opened up some room in the famous uh, curio shelf where I have all my Eagle Moss because I built a, a separate display of the ships and the the lineage of the. Uh, the Petoskey, which is our our Star Trek International Fan Club chapter, I wrote a little history of it. It was it was a series of uh, f- four different ships with refits, so there's six different models uh, that I set up in a little display. So I was, so anyway, open some room up for actually adding some of these in. Now we're going to be seeing. Uh, I think we've got about five or six ships here. We've got the La Serena, which was the hero ship that you saw Picard and and Rios and and you know Seven and all of them kind of bopping around on throughout the show. The USS uh, Zheng He, which was the uh, the lead of the fleet of ships we saw in the last episode that Captain Riker was commanding. Uh, you see the old school Klingon Bird of Prey, which we saw in an episode that that Seven had to take down uh, with her Fenris Ranger ship, which is another model they're making available. Uh, Narek's Snakehead, which is a little Romulan shuttle, and then the a Romulan bomber, uh, which was another ship that we saw in the series. So, the, you know, I've always loved this. I'm not super thrilled that they decided to super duper jack their prices through the roof, but you know, again, when you have collectibles, it's not like uh, you know if you're if you're in, you're in. You know, so they're they're obviously looking to hook people. It's a subscription service, which knocks down the price a little bit, but still. I know that that I can't subscribe to another. I am out of space, and I know that I made a deal with the wife. The space is finite. I'm not going to start opening up new frontiers and putting up new shelves to collect more <laughs> shit. Um, Todd and I have had Todd and I have also had a deal for a long time that my shit would stay under control. So I will kind of cherry pick my way through these. Alex, I know that you've dabbled a little bit in the Eagle Moss. What 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 ships do you have right now? Oh, three enterprises. I got the Borg cube that lights up. Ah, I um, like that one. I've got a couple Klingon ships. Got a Romulan ship. Yeah, nice. So, any of these tickle your fancy? You kind of jump out at you that you want to grab? <sighs> Not a, well, maybe seven or nine ship. Yeah, cool. I hear you. I hear you. And Todd, uh, I was going to say, Alex, hit the reminder. Uh, there's a reminder at the bottom of this article uh, about something that you and I really laughed about. They're they're launching the Build the Enterprise D program this oh, month. Uh, it was it's like <laughs> what the hell is it like forty issues at twelve bucks? So basically, it's like it's like almost a two thousand dollar model. Uh, <laughs> two again, foot long. Wow. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Oh. So subscribers will see four kits every month at twelve eighty a kit. 280 kits, 30 months to complete. Uh, 
Uh, yeah. And that is, again, if, you know, what if this comes out and nobody goes for it and you're like, oh, I got 10 issues of it and they just stopped putting it out. So, oh, look, I have in the cell and it cost me a hundred bucks. Wow. This is better than the, uh, what was it? The, the, the HasLab. This is wow. this is like the worst version of the HasLab. Well, yeah. HasLabs don't cost two grand. So yeah, this is Jack. So yeah, exactly. So I, I am very happy to say, or I'm very happy to echo, as I did when we talked about this several weeks ago, that this is absolutely one that is not for me. So, um, <laughs> oh my I, I did have a question though, Charlie. I thought you were now, you were, I thought you were anti like like everything has to be the same scale. So if you get these new ones, uh, aren't they like completely wrong scale? No, because the the ships I have right now are not they're not scaled to each other. Oh, they, okay. I thought they, they are. Were, they are potent, They are essentially the same uh, size, so they're you know six inch in length or whatever it is. They're certainly not in scale to each other because I have an enterprise model and then a shuttlecraft model and they're not the same size. So no, I I, I did prefer that. I I didn't want to have a ton of the huge models because again, my case is only so big and there's only so much that can fit in there. So yeah, no, so kind of a yes and a no to your question. If I I ever hit mega millions, I am going to buy you the subscription to this new five foot long enterprise for $37,000. You better hurry up. Cause I just get the feeling this shit is not going to sell. Well, buy, oh. it, buy it for him like halfway through. So once again, he only gets like half a ship. Oh yeah. Like, <laughs> or every other month. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Every, every other piece. I get a little, you maybe get some twine or some string and try to put all the pieces together. Get, get, I'll get buy, the, buy you some modeling clay. Yeah, exactly. Oh my God. Well, folks, that is uh, that is a wrap to the show. Uh, so, Alex, uh, play us on out. For more information about Starfleet International in Michigan and beyond, please visit the Graham Petoskey and or the Septarian on Facebook. The Code Forty Seven Podcast is part of the Secret Friends Unite Podcasting Network and is produced by the King of the North, Todd Oxtra. The king of the Northish, Todd. I know where we can find you because I'll find you in about two hours over on our other show. Uh, yes, Todd. Todd and I have been doing Secret Friends Prime podcast together uh, for good lord, almost going on seven years now. So uh, we have, of course, recently expanded that uh, in the last couple of years into a dynasty of four wonderful shows. You're obviously listening to the Code 47 podcast where we've been talking about Star Trek. Uh, Todd does a great video game podcast with Mark Carabin, a.k.a. The Knerdian, uh, about video games. And then Mark and I team up every other week to talk about Star Wars over on the Holocron Chronicles. All the shows can be found wherever podcasts are found. Todd also uh, does a dub of our programs over on our YouTube channel. So if you are a YouTube person, you can listen to audio uh, recordings of our shows that way. But wherever you find us, like, five-star and review us, say something positive, and that will earn you a wonderful uh, prize from our digital fantastic, our fantastic digital library of good stuff. We also have a uh, library, or we also have a store over on T Public featuring the logos of our programs. Uh, so they sell a variety of products from T-shirts to hoodies to wall art to pillows to coffee mugs and what have you. Uh, proceeds from that do benefit the League of Enchantment, a charity that the wife and I uh, belong to here in Michigan that does outreach work for children, uh, hospital visits and things of that nature. Uh, and lastly, of course, uh, we have brought all of our Twitter banners down to the single handle of at Secret Friends U. Hit us up. 
Let us know something you're enjoying in the world of geek. If it's Star Wars, Star Trek, if it's video games, if it's whatever, we want to hear about it, and we will talk about that subsequently on the program. So that is it. I'm going to tell you, as always, that sharing is caring, and to keep on trekking. Be good to one another and live long and prosper.